Lord, I, uh, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your word. Um, Holy Spirit, I just pray for help now as we open your, your scriptures and as we look at them. Lord, I pray that you would give me wisdom. I pray that you would give me um, words to say. I know that nothing I say will, will, will be of any consequence unless, Holy Spirit, you take them and use them. And so I pray that you would take my attempt at teaching the Scriptures and that you would do with your Scriptures what you promised they can do. Um, drive down to our, our hearts, expose idols, and then lay the Gospel on that. And Lord, I pray that um, as that happens, we would not cringe away from it. We wouldn't hate it, but we would love it. We would, we would love that as we see more and more places in our lives that, that don't conform to Christ. God, I am absolutely and completely dependent upon you to, this morning to, to teach, and so I pray that you would help me. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, we're in 1 John um, chapter 2, and we've been, as we've been studying through 1 John, also memorizing it um, together. And so the verses we're going to be looking at are verses 15, 16, and 17, um, which say this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride and possessions, is not from, is not from God, but it's from the world. And everything, i got to look, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Um, and it's okay to look, just to encourage you. If you are memorizing, it's okay to look. I had it perfect just a minute ago, and God keeps me from being prideful about having to look. So um, I want to encourage you, if you haven't picked up a, uh, a card, grab one off the info table and memorize with us. You don't have to backtrack. God loves His Word to be memorized starting in chapter 2. Um, if you want to backtrack, great. Um, but I just encourage you to do that. So this is what we're looking at. Um, <clears throat> what I want to do is... If you have an ESV study Bible, I think half of you do. It's kind of the most popular thing here. Um, if you see, or just ESV, stu- or ESV Bible, it probably has, well, study Bible, I know it has this, uh, a little title, and it says, The Lure of This Fleeting Age. The Lure of This Fleeting Age, uh, which is good. It's kind of saying the world is drawing you in to all of its worldly desires, but it's all fleeting. It's good. Um, but what I want to do is kind of show you my outline and then we'll just take them. We'll just go, we'll go right through it. Um, and I want, I want you to see it with me before, before we get going. There's a direct command given to us. John, um, if you remember, uh, in 12 through 14, or actually right before 12 through, we did 12 through 14, not last week, but the week before, um, in chapters 1 and 2, we've been basically getting the trash kicked out of us for a while, um, showing us how, how sinful we are and how we seem to... Um, not follow God the way we should, and when we don't follow God the way we should, it, it, it gives evidence that maybe we don't know Christ or we don't love Christ as much as we should. And so um, he's just been kind of hitting us over and over. Um, and 
A lot of commentators say that he realized that. And so as a good pastor, John's probably really old as he's writing this letter to a church. Um, as, he's, as he's been doing that for the first kind of chapter and a half, he's a pastor who loves them and doesn't want them to feel totally you know, destroyed. And so he, sends verses, he writes verses 2 through 14 um, saying things like, I'm writing to you children because your sins are forgiven. Don't lose heart. Um, I, know that, I know that you might feel like things aren't going well. And Piper said that... Um, as we, as we looked at 12 through 14, I gave you a little quote that he said, which is the reason why John is doing this is he's reminding them that they already have victory. And by reminding them that they already have victory in Christ, it makes the fight worth it. And it says, your sins are already forgiven. You know him who's from the beginning. You've overcome the evil one. You, you know him who's from the beginning. You're strong. The word of God bides in you and you've overcome the evil one. So as we've kind of seen how um, sinful we are and how we don't love Christ the way we should a lot of the time, he also wants to encourage you with 12 through 14 so that's where we are now we're coming off that going into 15 through 16 and he just in 15 gives us this direct command here it is that that'll drive our time this direct command in 15 do not love the world or the things in the world there it is don't love the world and then the the second part of that is the caution if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him. So we're, we're seeing, all right, what John's wanting us to do is to help us see there's love of the world and there's love of the Father. And these things cannot go hand in hand. We are supposed to love God. We are not supposed to love the world. Command, don't love the world. Now he's going to encourage you or give you three reasons why we should not love the world but love God. And I'm just going to go ahead and show them to you. <clears throat> we can go ahead and see here. Three reasons why we should love God and not the world. Three reasons to love God and not the world. The first one is um, there in verse 15 and 16, which we've all read, but it is the love of the world and love for God is inconsistent. And the and's key. Um, Love of the world and love for God is inconsistent. You can't serve both. We'll come back. All right. The second one is this. in 15 and 17, it says, the world's passing away. So a reason why to love God and not the world is because it's passing away. It's all going to go away. And then um, in 17, he does something that's basically the opposite of that. But I think it carries enough weight. It just stands out on its own as a, as a point. In 17b, um, he tells us, um, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So there's the third reason to love God. You will abide forever with God. All right, we're going to look at those. One at a time. But I wanted you to see them all three from the beginning. That's our outline. Um, Straight away. It's really simple. We need to love God. We don't need to love the world. All right, let's look at 15 and 16. 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. That's the command. Here's the caution. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Matthew 6, verse 24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for either... He will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then Jesus says you can't love both God and money. But this, this verse is, is very illustrative. It illustrates the fact that we can't love the world and love God. You can't, you can't love them both. John Piper says whenever he was commenting on this, um, love for the world pushes out love for God. Or the opposite, love for God pushes out love for the world. The love of the Father, if you love God, it implants or or 
puts within your heart a desire to break with the idolization of the world. That's how your ESV study Bible should say it. The, the love of the Father implants a desire to break with idolization of the world. Now, it's interesting here <clears throat> in 15 when it's telling us not to love the world or to love the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not him. He keeps telling you about our love for God versus the love for the world. And it's the same word he's using in, in verse 10. Um, you know, five verses up. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. This is agape. I'm sure you've heard that word before. Um, he's telling you that you're supposed to agape your brother. And if you agape your brother, you, you, then you abide in the light. And in him there's no cause for stumbling. And here he's telling you not to agape the world, but to love, agape the Father. So we can see even in just 10 and 15, the, uh, the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment um, shining forth to love God and love man. Now, um, whenever we see this, sometimes there's a, uh, the, the pendulum swings to, to the extreme. Do not love the world. All right, so what we hear is become a monk and live away from everybody because if you're ever in the world, then you're going to love the world. All right. Um, this is not a complete rejection of the world. He's not telling you to run away from the world and live, you know, completely away from anybody. Um, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. So we know that we're. It's okay to live in the world, but we're just not to love the world. He's not telling us to separate ourselves from the world, but to find ourselves um, being in the world. Loving people, serving people, just not loving the world. Not loving the things in the world. Alright? Now, this is pretty awesome too. In the second half of 15, it says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I want to kind of look at that, <clears throat> that little phrase, the love of the Father. There's a double meaning going on here. Um, the love of the Father is His love for us, um, but also it's, our love for Him. The love of the Father is God's love for us, but also ours for Him. So if we love the world, then His love for us is not in us, and our love for Him is not in us as well. So we can see the absolute necessity in our lives that we are, we are on the attack towards not loving the world. Alright, so here's the deal. Um... God and his, and his graciousness, um, I can't look at it any other way. I, I don't, don't feel like it's graciousness, but as I come through it, I know it is. Um, I got to experience this week um, this, this attack within my own soul, whether I want to love the world or love God. And so I, I think, how can this happen? Like, how does this practically happen in my life? Um, if anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. Just, just be honest with your heart right now. How attracted to the world are you? I was viciously attacked this week and, and failed and just have been dying because I know this verse. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And I, I see within my heart this this deep desire 
um, not my deepest desires for Jesus, but I see at least passions. I see wrong loves for the world. And if you're honest, you do too. You see it daily. So how does this like work out? Because it's just a direct thing. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father's not in you. But <clears throat> it seems like every day I, I battle loving the world. And a lot of times I lose. So does that mean the love of the Father's not in me? That I don't love Him and He doesn't love me? That's the question I've been like struggling with for a while. What does that mean practically? Is that, y'all follow me here? The big problem? This is a huge problem, at least in my life. Because I don't want it to be said of me that I don't love the Father or that He doesn't love me, but I see this command, don't love the world, and I seem to struggle with it constantly. How does this work in real life? Um, New Testament commentary says this. He's not talking about a single incident. He's not talking about a single incident. It's not like, okay, on Tuesday at 8.30 p.m., if you love the world this past week, you're done. You just showed it. You just you showed your hand, and you stink, you're folding, and you're done. It's not, that's not what it's saying. It's not talking about single incidents. In, incident, in, yeah. It's talking about a lifestyle. <clears throat> One day I'm going to learn to talk. It's talking about a lifestyle. It's talking about... The pattern of our life. And so John sees this, and he's going to explain what he means in verse 16. He's going to explain what he means in verse 16. He's going to help us see, all right, what does love of the world look like? And if I know what love of the world looks like, then I can answer this question. Because in real life, I find myself loving the world. Now, <clears throat> at first we're going to say, all right, this, this is getting worse. You're showing me that it's it's not very good, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it around for you. I promise. Verse 16. This is what love of the world looks like. This is what it means. Don't love the world. What does that mean? Because that's just so broad. God tells He says I love the world. So what does it mean to not love the world? All right. He's gonna He's gonna narrow it down for us in 16. For all that is in the world, and this is what it means. Remember context. Verse 15 tells us don't love the world. 16. For all that's in the world, this is what it means to love the world. Here it is. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride and possessions. That's what it means. To love the world. And <clears throat> some of my commentators that I was reading this week said that this world, you can just kind of substitute like the devil. You know, so it does, it is the world cosmos. It is talking about, it, it does use that. But John uses cosmos in a lot of different ways. Um, so... Whenever we love the world, this is what will be the pattern of our life. We will find ourselves having desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride and possessions. Now, commentators this past week um, took those three things and, man, they made them, they, they, they wanted, commentators like categories. They really love everything to work out neatly. Um, but the problem was that all the commentators I read, these commentators said, oh, that means this. These com-, they all said the same thing. But they were saying, all right, it means these things. It means um, desires of the flesh is talking about external. Desires of the eyes is talking about internal pride and possessions. It's just real subtle. And it's really just talking about um, how, how you boast in your heart. And then another guy's like, well, <clears throat> actually what it means is desire of the flesh, 
is um, desire of the flesh is doing sinful things like lusting. Desire of the eyes is also just thinking lustily. And it, it got confused. It got confusing because it sounded like you're saying the same thing. So I'm just going to say all three of these things um, are really talking about the same kind of thing. Now you may struggle. I'm going to I'm going to try to categorize them for you as well. <laughs> but I'm just going to say. Commentators go all over the place. You may struggle with one, two, or three of these things. But as we talk about them and as we look at them, just know the point is, um, if these things are describing you, then that's what it means to love the world over God. That's what it means. All right? So, let's look at it. Desires of the flesh. You notice that he uses the word desires the first two times, but doesn't use it the third. Desires of the eyes, desires of... Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes. Um, desire is not a, an inherently evil thing. God has given you desires. Um, ESV Study Bible says, but whenever they become twisted and not directed by and toward God, that is when desires are wrong. So desires are not inherently wrong. Um, at 12 today, you will desire to eat. So will I. Um, that's because... You have this little thing inside of you that wants to live, as do I. Um, so that desire is not wrong. But if it becomes twisted, that means we we commit gluttony, we overeat, we we serve food. Um, you have, and I can just go on and on with examples. Um, you have desires for sex, which is not an inherently evil thing. But it becomes twisted when it's outside of marriage. When it's inside of marriage, it's the beautiful desire that God's given you to enjoy your spouse, love her, love him, um, become one, maybe have children. So these are all good things. But whenever they're outside of the bounds that God gives us, then they're wrong. So desires are not wrong. But here, whenever he's using these words desires here, this, this term... Is, is a collective use of showing cravings that are covetousness, coveting in, na- in nature. All right? So we're going to see desires of the flesh. So this, <clears throat> this inward craving, sinful craving, when it says desires of the flesh. Now, first, this flesh, this is just the Greek word sarks. Um, this is just, in some translations, a lot of times in your NIV, it'll take that sarks word and it'll just say sinful nature. So this flesh is talking about the desire for sin. This is your human nature that has been corrupted that drives you to sin. So there's the, there's the deep desire within you towards sin. Desire of the, desire of the eyes. The next one is the desire of the, of the... I'm sorry, that was desire of the flesh. This is desire of the eyes. Um, this desire of the eyes is just the word... Ophthalmosis is where we get our word ophthalmology. For those who you know know things about eyes, this is just the desire of the eyes. But there's a, there's a sense sometimes where um, the Bible will use this this word eyes as a metaphor for the mind's eye. So it goes a little bit deeper than just what we see. It's also um, representing our faculty of knowing and understanding things, our our mind. Um, and then we see. The pride in possessions. Now, they were all over the place in translating this. Um, but this is a good one. I think this is really good. This is pride in possessions. This is uh, pride boasting, boasting in things. And this possessions, um, oh, I'll come back to it. I'm, I'm going I'm to take them one at a time. All right, so desire the flesh. This is um, 
the pursuit of sin. This is the thing that while you're still, if, this is for believers, and unbelievers actually, for unbelievers, this is the thing that drives you to sin. Praise God you're not going to do all the things that you're totally capable of, but you will sin. You cannot not sin. You will always sin because Adam, when he sinned, has, has pushed his, his corrupt human nature all the way to us, so you will always sin. And so when you see that, you'll understand, all I do sin, I never choose anything else but sin, so the only hope I have is Jesus. For those of us that are saved, for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, that truth is, has been confronted in our minds and we say, I am totally depraved. All I want is sin. So I, I, I want Jesus in my life. And we confess Him, we put our faith in Him, and then we find ourselves in this, this experience now where, um, as, as Paul says in Romans 7, um, the things that I want to do, I don't always do them. But the things I don't want to do, I, I do them sometimes. Who's going to save me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus. And so the idea here is sin is working itself out in you. And you'll find yourself sinning less and less and less, becoming more and more like Christ. That whole process after that is called sanctification. And it's, it's you becoming what's already been declared true of you. You are declared righteous in Christ. And he is making that more and more true. Beautiful. A beautiful thing. But we will find ourselves desiring the flesh, the sarks, um, the sinful nature or the corrupt human nature. Um, the next one is the desire of the, of the eyes. And this is pursuing what our mind desires. This is it's a little bit more subtle. This is covetousness. Um, this can also point to non-material things. This can point to non-material things. And the com I like this commentator, the way he'll say it is the desire of the flesh kind of points to the material. Um, desire of the eyes will kind of sometimes point to the non-material. This is what I mean. Um, James Boyce says, our status at work. This, this is the idea of the non-material. Our status at work, our position in certain places of service. Um, the Christian is to be content to be overlooked for the promotion. To do without the eternal symbols of success. To be thought unsophisticated or unglamorous if such actually contributes to the glory of God. So it's, it's making us see the desires of the eyes is saying, all right, I want, I want God over status. I want God over non-material things. The things that make me look great in front of everyone. I want Jesus more than those things. So that's the desire of the eyes. The last one is pride and possessions. And he says that this is one of the, uh, the most subtle things. Um, if you're familiar, I just want to kind of give you an idea of what he's talking about. This pride and possessions. Um, pride is like boasting. Possessions is like livelihood. Livelihood. You, you're probably familiar with this story. There's a story in, in Mark 12. I'm sure it's in the other Gospels. It's in Mark 12, 44. Uh, it's where it uses the word. The idea is uh, there were the Pharisees and they were coming and they were putting huge gifts in the offering basket. And Jesus is kind of standing on the side with his disciples watching him do that. And then uh, the widow comes up and she takes her two copper coins and she puts it in there. And Jesus points out to the disciples, you see what she did? She did something great. And they're like, well, why? Because the other guys were giving way more. And, she, and Jesus says, but when she came, she gave all that she had. The word there is her bios. 
She gave all that she had. This is the same here, pride and possessions, bios. She gave her livelihood. She gave her possessions. All right, so that's what we're talking about. It's, it's, it's our livelihood. It's, it's our, our life and, and the things that we have. <clears throat> and he says that one of the things that shows that we have love for the world is we have pride in possessions. Um, if you have a great job, it's thinking to yourself, I have this great job because I got this great job for myself. I worked hard and that's why I have it. You may have worked hard, but you have that great job because God gave it to you. Don't boast in that. Give the glory to God because you have that thing. Um, James Boyce was talking about this, um, and he said that the root of it is entitlement. It's the idea of doing a good job at something versus being better at others, being, wanting to be better than others. This is what I mean. Um, you have a job giving to you. Um, the right way to do this is, all right, I have something that I'm supposed to do. I want to do it for the glory of God. So I'm going to do a good job because that's what is going to bring honor and glory to Christ. That's good. The way this becomes wrong is, I have a job. I'm going to look at everybody else that's doing this job. And what I want to do is a better job than them. That's different. Um, and as you, as you do more and as you maybe get successful you have this sense of entitlement. And when this entitlement grows, Boyce says that um, this is at base satanic. This can affect men and women in their jobs and at their home whenever they have this sense of entitlement. I deserve that. And he also says, and to the minister and the pulpit. So it happens to everyone. There isn't a person that um, is free from this. All of us need to watch and make sure that we don't have pride in possessions. We can even have pride in our children. We can even have pride in our children. Which is, in one sense, good. Like, the other day, well, maybe it's about a month ago, um, my daughter, I would put her to bed, and she's supposed to stay in bed. You know, we want you to stay in bed. That's what we told you to do. Um, about an hour later, she's upstairs, and I hear knocking and whatever, so I go up there, and I find her. I'm not lying. Um... All the lights are off and she's in her bathroom, light on, sitting in the bathtub, reading Bible stories. And so, but it's after, it's after, after uh, bedtime. And so I walk in, I'm like, what are you doing? I'm reading Bible stories. And at the moment, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I'm conflicted here because in one sense, I'm proud of her. Yes, she's reading Bible stories, but it's after bedtime. You're supposed to be in bed. And so I, I see myself like wanting to, this is great. I want to take pride in her. This is awesome. But no, you're not supposed to. So... It's very subtle. We can find ourselves um, even taking pride in our children. Um, and it's hard to not take pride in your children whenever they do things right, but also kind of get it wrong at the same time. Um, but we're not supposed to take pride in possessions. Everything that we have is from God, um, and therefore we're not supposed to do it um, for the glory of ourselves, but we're supposed to boast in Him. So that's the first one. Um, the first one is... That you cannot love the world and love God. If you love both, that's inconsistent. Um, so how do we do this? Back to the question. How do we do this? How do we do this? Because I find myself desiring the flesh, desiring the eyes, the desire of my eyes, the, the pride and possessions. Um, and it's not talking about a one-time thing. It's talking about an overall pattern. 
John Calvin was, was talking about these verses, and this is what he says. Whosoever then makes himself thus a slave to earthly lusts cannot be of God. I think that's the key there. In Romans, it tells us that we're no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. So if we are slaves to earthly lusts and not slaves to God, then that's how we're going to know whether this battle is, our, is ours for the victory or not. So day in, day out, whenever these things come, you preach the gospel to yourself. Like we have, we have, no, other, we have no other hope but the gospel. Whenever temptation for sin comes, you tell yourself, I am righteous because Christ has died on the cross. He's made me righteous. Father, by the power of your spirit, don't make me a slave towards sin. Don't make me a slave towards that lust. Make me a slave towards your righteousness. And may the overall pattern of my life be that I'm following Jesus, not the world. So the first reason that we love, the first reason that we love God and not the world is because we can't love both. The next one is this. Verse 17, it says, All the world is passing away. Um, all the world is passing away. So, if you don't buy stock in something that's going down, if something's losing money, you don't say, you know what, I'm going to sell all, all I have and I'm going to buy stock in that since it's losing money. And that's basically the same thing. You don't invest in something that's going to burn. Everything here is going to burn. Um, I know that there's an appearance of permanence. Even you, in your life, you may feel, I'm young, I'm going to live a long time. Um, that's why I put, as will you. The world is passing away and so are you. Um, every day that goes by, you're dying. We're, we may like, get hurt and then get healed, but as we get hurt and get healed, we're still dying. We're healing ourselves to death. We're always dying every day. Everything you have um, is transitory and headed for destruction. One of my goals here is this. Um, one of my goals every day I come in here um, is to say, what are your idols? What are the things that you love? I try to, I try to um, pull back your, your deceiving of yourself and let you see that idol let you be honest, not run from it, and then push the gospel in there and let the gospel do its work. Um, here, here's, an, here's an idea. I was, I, was, I was thinking, how can we address this? Let's say there's a fire in your house um, and you've got to run back in there and get stuff. Barring your children are out. You know, your, family, your family's all out. Everybody's safe. And you've got three minutes, you know, and you won't cough yourself to death. You can run in there and get some stuff and bring it back out. What are the things you're going to run in there and get? We're all, going to, we're all going to run in there and get something. What are those things? Think about it. Family pictures, my expensive computer, I got to get my iPod, I got my favorite pillow, I don't know. What are the things that you have to have? All right, so here's the deal. Whatever that is, and I'm not saying those things are inherently evil. None of those things are inherently evil. If you have your favorite guitar, that's not an evil thing. But whatever that thing is, does that thing right there have to struggle, have to vie for, have to have a competition with God for the supremacy of your heart? It's all passing away. 
All of it. If something is in competition with love, for love, for God, in your heart, if it's that thing, that's not good. Rip that thing back, push the gospel on there, and let the Holy Spirit do its work. The world is passing away, and so are you. It may not be a thing. It may just be that you love your, uh, you love your youth. You love your good physique. Well, you can just let time take care of that. Um, <laughs> have some children and not be able to devote three hours to running every day or whatever. Um, so we, we, don't, we don't put our hope in temporal things. We put our hope in the only eternal thing, which is um, why I have the third one. This is why I have the third one. Um, it says, The world is passing away along with its desires, but... Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Here's the third one. You will abide forever with God. This is in juxtaposition of the second one. This is an opposite of the second one. The second one is saying the world's passing away, but God lives forever. Don't love the world, but love God, because why would you love something that's only going to be in a landfill one day whenever God himself lives forever? He's eternal past and eternal future. He's always been and he always will be. That's where all of our affections, that's what even makes the most sense. But we don't do it just because it makes the most sense. We do it because that is what is right. God has implanted that in us. The love of the Father's in us. Um, we love the Father and that's what he's... Don't, don't buy stock in something that's going down. Love God. Because... If you do, then you will be with him forever. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around that because we've never been to heaven and we've never got to see the beautiful glory of God and then compare it to the worldly attractions. All we do is live in here in these worldly temptations. So it's hard for us. But we can have glimpses. That's why he gives us his word. That's why he lets us commune together as a church. That's why we get to have community and serve and love. Um, we have glimpses of the beauty of heaven. And so what we want to do is push ourselves into those and push ourselves away from the world. All right, now, there's a couple concluding remarks I want to make and then we're, we're going we're gonna to be done. The first one is this. 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. And then after that, in 17b, the very end, it says, whoever does the will of God abides forever. Um, Piper was talking about this, and he's saying, loving the Father from verse 15, loving the Father from verse 15, goes hand in hand with 17b, where John tells us to do the will of the Father. If you love God, you will do His will. Or your love for Him is just a sham. It's just empty talk. There is no... I agree with that. I'm going to love God. I'm not going to love the world, but I'm not going to do His will. That, that, that kind of talk in John's mind doesn't exist. If you love God, verse 15, then you're going to want to do His will. And, and this, is, this is beautiful. Look at this. 5.3 um, five, five, and 5.4. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. That would be His will, that He would want us to walk in, in the way He would want us to walk. But His commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God, this is just a, a, a way to say regeneration. This is just a, a way to say that God has come into your life and opened up your eyes and let you see the beauty of Christ, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the cross. You've been born of God. Um, 
For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. You will overcome the world. So you don't have to love the world. You can always love God because it's a promise here. If you've been born of God, you've overcome the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith is what does it. That's a beautiful thing to know that um, faith in God is a promise that we will overcome the world. And it's just, it's just us believing the gospel and asking God by the power of His Spirit to equip us, to give us power to let those things happen in our life. So you will abide with God forever. You will abide with God forever. That's the third one. And loving God goes hand in hand with doing His will. So there shouldn't be this, this kind of thing in your life where you say you love God, but you never ever are doing His will. You, you should always be doing His will. Or you don't love God the way you say you do. I want to close with this. This is a quote from uh, Augustine. Augustine uh, is a guy that lived about 300 years ago, oh, not 300 years ago, lived in around year 300, 1700 years ago. Um, this is what he said. For he loves thee too little, so he's talking to God, for he loves thee or you too little who loves anything together with thee, which he loves not for thy sake. So you don't love God very much if you love God and something else along with it. Unless you, you're, you love God and you're saying, I appreciate you, I appreciate you, God, and I worship you because you've given me this. If this thing right here is in, in competition, then you, you don't love God enough. For he loves thee too little who loves anything together with thee, which he loves not for thy sake. So here's how we're going to conclude. Um, The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit's an amazing thing. He can take he can take feeble, brutal, <laughs> um, confusing attempts at trying to explain the text, and he can he can come behind it, and he can do a work in your heart. So I, I don't want to, and I don't like to try to you know do this huge like manipulative kind of deal. I just want the text to drive down into your heart and the Holy Spirit to come and Him show you these are the idols in your life that need to be given over. These are the things in your life that you need to stop loving the world and start loving God. So our conclusion today is um, we're going to go into the Lord's Supper and then after that we're going to worship. And I just pray and I'm asking you now as we go into a time of prayer um, that you would ask God, God, show me the idols of my heart. The Holy Spirit is that powerful. He doesn't need me. Um, he takes His Word and he, and he uses it to, to push down into your heart and expose the idols of your heart and causes you to be convicted, causes you to repent, causes you to turn, causes you to trust in Jesus. So I, I want Him to do His work now. So I'm going to pray and I just ask that you would join with me in prayer and ask that He would do these things. And we'll go into a time of partaking of the, of the Lord's Supper where we are reminded of God's sacrifice of His Son for us on the cross. And that will be, along with this, um, the catalyst that drives us into worship. And as we go into worship, um, we're not wanting you to stand up and manufacture emotions and manufacture uh, loud singing just because that's what we're supposed to do. We want the desire of your heart, the deepest desires of your heart, 
to be affections for Christ and as you worship with us, however He's wired you, for you to stand in worshiping based on the gospel. Because you might feel conviction of sin right now, but you still stand in worship because, praise God, He's given Jesus and all those things are forgiven. And you can stand and worship Him 100% righteous, 100% forgiven. So I'm going to pray. And uh, I'm going to give you a little time to pray on your own. And then we'll go into the time of the Lord's Supper. I'll, I'll give a brief introduction to it. And then we'll, we'll worship. But let me pray. Father, um, I love you deeply. And I know that I don't love you as deeply as I should. But I want to. And Father, I, I love this church and I love these people deeply. I care for them. And I know that I don't express that all the time to them. But you do perfectly. You express your love perfectly to us in Christ. And while conviction may be painful... Because it's from you, it's good. Because you're good. You're always good. And so where we may have idols, where we may have desires of flesh and desires of the eyes or pride and possessions, where we may boast on ourselves, where we may try to make our name great rather than yours, where we may try to say, this, the reason why I'm great is because of me rather than you. We don't point back to you and say, Everything I have is from the Father. Praise be to Jesus. I don't have anything unless I have Him. All the places in our life, whether it's school or marriage or money or trust for a job or for whatever, all the places that are idols. Maybe we love media too much. God, I pray that we would not resist your conviction. This week was very tough but beautiful for me as I was shown and convicted where I love the world more than you sometimes. And so I pray for all of us, God, that we would not push away this conviction, but that we would let the idol of our heart be exposed and the gospel destroy it. And that we would trust you. By faith we would trust you. Got to pray for my friends here. If they're thinking through things right now or they're aware of things right now, that they would confess it. And that you would show them by the power of your spirit how to put Christ as their supreme affection. That they would not let themselves lust after the things of the world, lust after sin. But they would be a slave to righteousness. If there are certain things in their life that need to end, 
that they would trust you and end them. And that's different for everyone. Some people don't have to end things. Some people do. And I pray they wouldn't make excuses because their friend doesn't have to end it, but they know they should. I pray that they would just be obedient and that as you push their conscience to an awareness that this thing needs to end, God, that they wouldn't fight it, but they would joyfully embrace this because you're, you're good. You're always good. There is no reason to love the world over you. But we've, we're really good at finding reasons. So break that pattern in our life. I pray now that you would, by the power of your Spirit, cause our affections to be stirred for Christ. And as we go into our response, where we take the Lord's Supper and gratitude and thanksgiving for Christ's shed blood on the cross, and as we go in through worship, through song, that our response would be genuine in the way that you've wired us to worship, that we would worship that way. Perhaps maybe the way we'll worship in heaven, whatever that might look like, we'll, we'll do that this morning. You would grant us that. We will abide with you forever. That's beautiful. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.